You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, kitties, and welcome to my world. I would come over and say hello to you, but it's just as easy for you to come to me. Yes, yes, come in. You've come to the right place. This is where you'll learn everything there is to know about your furry feline friends. I'm talking about cats. Yes, I know. We are positively perfect pets. What do you mean I have attitude? Why, of course I do. I'm a cat. It's called Catitude. As I was saying, this show is all about cats. Cats and, um, oh yes, uh, cats. So let me introduce you to my accomplice, I mean assistant and host of Catitude, Tom Doc. Okay, Tom, tell them how wonderful we cats are. It's okay, you have my permission. Hello again and welcome to the Catitude channel on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Tom Doc, and I am so excited to be here again. It is 2009, if you can believe it or not. I just getting through the holidays and everything. There was so much going on. And hey, I do apologize if you've been following the show and you realize that there hasn't been a new episode for a few weeks. So please accept my sincere apologies. I think today's episode is really going to make up for it because we have a lot of information to talk about. Our show today is going to focus on some more of the pointed cats. And as you know, like Siamese, pointed cats are some of my favorite cat breeds in the whole world. And we're going to talk about Burmese cats today, Bombay cats, and Tonkinese cats, and how, first, they're all interrelated, and second, uh, how they compare to Siamese and, and a little bit of the history, you know, all the things that we normally go through. So I'm very excited about that, and we're also, at the end of the half hour, going to spend a little bit of time talking about what happens if something would happen to you, what's going to happen to your pets. Now, we don't want anything to happen to you. We want you to be safe. But if you get in an accident or become disabled or, God forbid, you would die, who knows to go take care of your pets? That's a really good, interesting question. And I've got some information from the Veterinary News Network, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in this half hour as well. But first, let's talk about all the cats that have been in the news over the holidays. This is just absolutely amazing to me, all these stories that have come across. And the one that struck me... I don't want to say as the funniest, but certainly the most bizarre, was a pet store Santa who was bit by a cat during a pet photo shoot at a pet store in New Jersey. Now, that's not that odd because we know that cats and even dogs get a little upset when they're in strange surroundings. What was odd was that everybody in line waiting to get their pet's pictures taken with Santa, everybody in line swore that this woman who brought this cat in brought a bobcat. It was that big of a cat. Well, evidently, the cat was showing signs of stress, and when he got up to get his picture taken with Santa, he bit the Santa several times. And the lady, evidently, who brought the cat in didn't even wait around for the photo to be developed. She was gone. She and the cat were absolutely gone. So, of course, health authorities, everybody was very concerned that we had a... Um, this was over in New Jersey, if I haven't mentioned, um, that there was a concern about a wild animal being owned illegally, that it was a bobcat, and that, of course, this poor pet store Santa was going to have to undergo the series of rabies shots. Well, thankfully, the owner did come forward after a couple days. You know, she didn't really give a reason why she didn't come back, but um, she came forward, brought the vaccine records, and stated that it's actually not a bobcat, but a new breed of cat called Pixie Bobs. Pixie Bobs have been accepted um, to be registered by the International Cat Association. 
They are big cats. I guess this one weighed close to 30 pounds. And the urban legend has it that pixie bobs are the result of wild bobcats breeding with our domestic cats. So, brings up all sorts of ethical questions to me and maybe even some moral questions to you. Yes, wild bobcats can certainly breed with domestic cats. However, so far, DNA tests have not shown any bobcat markers in this breed of cat. Now, that doesn't mean it's not there, but there's going to be some more research. And as your cat expert, as somebody that you turn to, I'm going to just delve into this full force. Just going to dive right into finding out about this controversy because there is a lot going on. There's actually pixie bobs and then a, um, a separate breed of, of cats that supposedly, I think they're called legend cats, that came from bobcats as well. It's very interesting stuff, but it goes to the bigger picture about how we want to develop our small domestic cats to look like some of the bigger cats. And we've already talked about the Bengal breed a few episodes back. Remember, the Bengal breed has Asiatic leopard cat in the background. Today, we're going to talk about the Bombay cat, which is supposed to look like a little black panther. But I just, as I look into this and I do more research, I find out more and more about these oddball breeds. There's a new breed out there called a Savannah cat, which is a huge spotted cat. I mean, these cats look to be 16 to 18 inches tall. You see them with a small child and you swear that, you know, the child's going to get mauled by this cat. Um, so I'm going to spend a whole episode coming up soon talking about things like pixie bobs and, and the Savannah cats and all the people who are trying to make little wild cats out of our domestic cats. Or maybe another way of putting it is to try to get a small domesticated version of a big wild cat. And whether, you know, that's ethically, legally, and, and morally acceptable. So we'll talk about that coming up in, in a few episodes. Other things going on in cat news. There was an owner in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, who was very quick thinking and actually saved her cats during an apartment fire. Actually, the owner had the foresight to put the cats out on the balcony while the apartment complex was going up in flames and the fire department was thankfully able to rescue the cats. And um, I got this story from one of my VNN reporters in Wisconsin who actually donated all of her services. Um, thanks Dr. Ann Sosala of Companion Animal Care in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. She donated all of her services and took care of some of the medical needs that the cats had after you know getting smoke inhalation and, and being out on the balcony during the cold morning with the fire raging all around them and everything. So just a kind of a feel-good story, you know, a smart thinking owner reacting quickly and then the generosity of a veterinarian helping out. So that's that's kind of a neat thing. Um, sadly, though, there's a couple other stories coming out of the East Coast. This one off of Long Island. I just saw this on MSNBC this morning. A rescue group in Long Island has taken 180, that's 180, 180 cats out of a home of a lady. Can you imagine that? 180 cats. And I guess these cats are, they're going to be spayed and neutered and they're going to be transferred to no-kill shelters and the lady has given up the animals willingly. But here's what I thought was very unique about this story. The resident of the home is giving up the animals willingly. She said she realized she could not afford to feed the animals and didn't know how she ended up with so many. See, that just blows me away. And maybe I'm just being, I don't know, I'm overthinking it or something. But, you know, if you're not neutering your cats, you're not getting them spayed and neutered, they're going to reproduce. And so how could you not know how you ended up with so many? 
um, you know, just sad, sad state. And you know, this, this poor lady, she has a, a mental condition. Animal hoarding is a mental condition and it requires not only that animal control officers and veterinarians be involved with taking care of the animals, but she really needs some help, some social worker type help, some mental help, because this is just something that, uh, it's very difficult for these people who hoard cats to, to give up this kind of stuff and they really they need our help it's not something that we should point fingers and say they're bad people they really do need our help now finally in the news there's a woman out in i believe it's maryland who gets six months in jail for cat abuse the sad thing about this story is the woman's 81 years old and the judge didn't want to put her in jail but evidently she mistreated dozens of cats in a townhouse that she lived at with her daughter and there were about 50 cats um, in her home, evidently, and this is a townhome, so you figure it's probably somewhere between 1,200 and 2,000 square feet. That's not a very big house. And um, she's got basically 21 counts of animal cruelty and neglect, and her daughter is actually facing more than 150 counts of animal cruelty and neglect. She'll go to trial in April. They found 50 live cats, a bunch of dead ones. Evidently, neighbors had complained because the smell had become so bad and the bugs were causing so many problems in adjacent homes that the neighbors ha couldn't do anything but call the authorities so very sad sad cases here but um you know just shows that our cats you know are in the news and uh, you just got to know where to look to find them a lot of times well i need to uh, take a break and get to our sponsor so we can get right to our show here's our trivia question for the day if you've been following our episodes we've already talked about berman cats Berman cats generally are always named with the same letter when they're born in the same year. So what letter is going to be used for naming this year's kittens? We will be right back after we hear from our sponsors. Stay tuned. Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. I love cleaning the litter box, said no one ever. Luckily, there's World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that promises less mess with less litter. Only World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to quickly trap odors in tight clumps. And quick clumping means you never have to chisel or scrape the box. Less cleanup with less wasted litter? That's a litter bit amazing. Save $2 on World's Best Cat Litter. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you until later. Okay, Tom, you may continue. And we are back to the Catitude channel on Pet Life Radio. Once again, my name is Tom. I am your cat friend here as we spend our time going through all the different cat breeds and learning about these little felines that we love so much. So we had a trivia question right before the break, and our trivia question was based on Bermans. And if you've been listening to the show, if you've been following the episodes or you know downloading them to your iPod, 
you should know the answer to this question. And the question is, what letter is going to be used for the naming of this year's crop of Berman kittens? And that letter this year is the letter G. So we'll probably see lots of um, Gladyses, maybe a few Gertrudes. Who knows? Maybe if even a few Gales. <laughs> anyway, let's move on and let's talk about our breeds today. We're going to talk about the Burmese, the Bombay, and the Tonkinese. And believe it or not, these cats are all pretty much related. And we're going to start with the Burmese because that's kind of where everything got started. And all Burmese trace their ancestry back to a single cat taken from Rangoon in 1930. Now this Dr. Joseph Thompson, um, there's a little bit of discrepancy whether sailors brought the cat to Dr. Thompson or whether he went and got the cat. Anyway, he had this little kitten and her name was Wong Mao. And Wong Mao was a walnut brown cat with darker points. So you can kind of imagine, you know, a Siamese looking cat, but just much darker. Now, what Dr. Thompson did was he actually started selectively breeding Wong Mao to Siamese and he developed this Burmese breed of cats, so kind of a hybrid type of breed. What we have found out later now is that these cats are actually very distinct from Siamese. They do occur naturally in the area of Thailand and Siam and all those areas. And this gene is also present in Singapura cats and the snow Bengal cats, the, uh, the snow version of the Bengal cat. And there are ancient manuscripts that talk about this cat and a lot of experts believe that this is actually the chocolate cat of Siam. So you've got your Siamese who are a little bit lighter colored throughout the body with darker points and then you've got these Burmese which are darker throughout the body but still have a very dark point. The ears and the nose, tails and the feet of course are much darker than the rest of the body. Well, Dr. Thompson uh, was very good at what he did, and the CFA did recognize the Burmese in 1936. Now, let's think back for a second. Remember when we talked about Siamese, how earlier Siamese did not have the pale bodies that we see now. They had a much darker body, not as dark as the Burmese, but they had a much darker body. And so when the CFA recognized this breed, the Siamese breeders and a lot of Siamese show people were actually very upset thinking that it was just a, a poor quality Siamese that they were allowing to be shown. And the Burmese folks were continuing to use a lot of Siamese outcrosses. And finally, in 1947, and this was very controversial and very disheartening to people who liked the Burmese breed, the Burmese cat breed was actually de-recognized. You could not show Burmese cats because the CFA said you've got to stop outcrossing with the Siamese because you're becoming too close. Well, finally, after some very concentrated breeding and maintaining some good breeding stock, in 1956 and 1957, there were finally enough numbers, sufficient numbers, of Burmese cats that had a three-generation pedigree of just Burmese in their background that the CFA said, okay, you can start registering them again. And they got very, very popular in the 1970s as well. And again, if you go to the CFA.org website, you can see some just beautiful pictures of these cats. A lot of their pictures are the very dark seal type points. So you've got a, a very deep brown body and a very dark, almost black mask, feet, tail, and ears. These are a heavy-bodied cat. In fact, breeders describe them as being a brick wrapped in silk. A brick wrapped in silk. And uh, they get the same type of colors recognized as your Siamese, but they call them different names. 
the seal point is a sable. The um, chocolate point of a Siamese is called champagne. Blue points are called blue points in both Siamese and Burmese. And then the platinum is going to be equivalent to your lilac in Siamese. There have been, because of the Siamese background, even more dilute colors. You know, you can actually have tortoiseshells and reds thrown off in Burmese breeding. But American Burmese breeders aren't too interested in these colors. And they were originally... Um, most of the time, they were sent over to, to England. Um, American breeders just aren't interested in this at all. And so that's kind of a, a division between the European type of Burmese and the American type of Burmese. There's a lot more. Actually, it's a different looking type cat altogether, but they come from the same stock. Now, these dilute colors, the champagne and platinum, which equivalent to the chocolate and the lilac in the Siamese, were originally competing as Malayan cats. But since... Since then, um, I couldn't tell you exactly when it happened, but um, since they started doing them as Malayans, they actually have just put them all in one class called dilute colored Burmese. They have a very short coat and it's got a very satin-like texture. They do carry a long-haired gene, so it is possible to have a long-haired Burmese and they're actually called Tiffany's. They should have a gold or yellow eye, eyes, excuse me, and they should have very soft, sweet voices. They're very tolerant of other pets. In fact, one breeder mentioned that um, she believed that the fight or flight response had been bred out of the Burmese. Now, I don't believe that, but they do seem to be very tolerant of other pets, and they seem to be very tolerant of children, and certainly very people-oriented as well. As far as health goes, they are a fairly healthy breed. You don't need a lot of grooming with them, but there is a very serious head defect. Now, I couldn't find a lot of information on this. It's called head fault, and it could simply be that just the information's dated and maybe this doesn't show up as much anymore, but it's a lethal head defect where kittens are born, stillborn, or die within a day or two after being born, and I know the breeders are working very hard at eliminating that totally from the breeding lines. So that's a little bit about Burmese. Again, if you go to the CFA website, there are just some absolutely gorgeous pictures. Um, if you go to wikipedia.org and look at the Burmese cat entry there, there's a nice picture of a blue and a sable adult American Burmese. And they really, the Wikipedia goes into a lot of the differences between the European and the American Burmese, which I'm really not going to get into now. But the Burmese were used to create another breed of cat known as the Bombay cat. Now, what happened with the Bombay cat, and again, I think this is a very interesting thing on, on how we, as cat lovers and cat breeders, look at our pets here, is that a breeder in Kentucky said, you know, I would really like to have a little teeny tiny panther. I want a black panther. <laughs> I don't know if she actually said that, but this breeder's name is Nikki Horner, and her cattery is Shawnee Cattery. And what she did was she bred an American shorthair with a Burmese, and she was trying to get something that looked like a small panther. She was what she called a parlor panther. So she wanted a black cat that had the coat of the Burmese um, and I guess the body build more of the Burmese. And so the Bombays were created and they were actually accepted by the CFA for championship status in 1975. Now these are very muscular cats. They've got a round head, a short, very blunt muscle, and copper eyes. Other than that, they look very similar to a Burmese, but of course they're just going to be shown as a black cat. 
genetically, they're very similar to the Burmese. You've got, still got a lot of um, outcrossing going on in the Bombay breed to the Burmese. They seem to be very talkative, given their you know background of Siamese and Burmese, but they have a much softer voice. And I guess these cats, according to breeders that I've talked with, want to be the dominant cat in the household. So they may, you know, I don't know how well they're going to get along with other cats, but they've got to be the boss. Health-wise, again, a very healthy breed. Um, since they do derive from the Burmese, we would worry a little bit about the fact that they might have that head fault, um, but I've not found any documentation to say that. But they do suffer from cleft palate, and of course, if you take your kittens in, if you're a breeder and you take your kittens to the veterinarian right away in the morning after they're born, you'll certainly find the veterinarian checking the mouths of all the kittens. And that's to make sure that there's not an opening going from the mouth into the nasal cavity called a cleft palate. And of course, those can be surgically repaired, but it, since it is genetic, we could certainly try to breed that out. So um, Bombay cats, you know, very muscular look. Um, they do. They look like little leopards. Um, so interestingly enough, but, you know, thankfully, they don't have any leopard in their background. Finally today, as far as our breeds, we're going to talk a little bit about the Tonkinese cats. And these are really starting to be one of my favorite breeds. And I think back on the Siamese that I have owned, and I wonder if they weren't Tonkinese. Now, Tonkinese cats look like Siamese, little bit darker bodies, not as dark as the Burmese. And so you think they're kind of midway between Siamese and Burmese. And here's the interesting thing. They are midway between Siamese and Burmese. What has happened is the Siamese gene that we talked about so many episodes ago, which is a recessive gene, has another gene that's associated with it called the Burmese gene. And so it's a different form of the gene. And what can happen is you can actually have one Siamese gene and one Burmese gene, and those cats are Tonkinese cats. And as we look back in history, we actually find out that Wong Mao, remember I just talked about her with the Burmese cats, was actually a Tonkinese. So the mother of the Burmese breed of cats was actually a Tonkinese cat. And it actually goes, it makes a lot of sense now too, because if you think about the cats in Siam, there were the royal cats of the Siamese type cats that had the very pale bodies and very dark points the Burmese cats, which they call the chocolate cats that were running around. And certainly there's going to be some interbreeding between the two. So the Tonkinese were probably there quite as well. And the history that we looked up basically said they were probably already present in Siam in the 1800s. But it wasn't until 1960s that you saw a real movement for acceptance. And it was really due to two breeders, Jane Barletta and Margaret Conroy, who began the foundation of the breed. And they were looking at creating a cat that had a body type moderate to Siamese and Burmese, so not the real thin foreign body type of the Siamese, but not the real muscular type of the Burmese as well. So in between there, the CFA did start accepting registrations in 1978, and actually they were able to become champions in 1984. As far as their bodies go, again, we've already kind of talked about that midway. Everything's midway between Siamese and Burmese with these cats. They do have very unique eyes. They should have green or yellow-green eyes. And they have a bunch of different colors based on the points and the coat patterns. And there's actually 12 different Tonkinese that can be shown, or Tonkinese patterns that can be shown. They show um, blue points in mink. Um, gosh, I'd have to look at the other other types right now but uh because i just 
lost all my notes here for some reason the computer went down but anyway the mink there's a the points like the siamese and then of course there's more of a solid like the burmese so you've got solid patterns mink patterns and shaded patterns and then you combine those with all the colors the blues the champagnes the seal points and so you get 12 different colors based on these points and coat patterns and if you wanted to understand a little bit more about that you can go to tonkineseBreedersAssociation.org. And always, always, if you don't get a website um, while you're listening to the show, if you're driving, if you're walking, you don't have a place to write it down, send me an email, tom at petliferadio.com, and I'd be happy to take care of that for you, send it to you. Personality, you know, these guys are just real, real lovers, and I think back now to my, quote, Siamese that I had, Sierra, and I really believe that she was a Tonkinese, given now that her, her body shape, given her point colors, I think that she was a blue mink Tonkinese. And her personality, oh my gosh, was just perfect. She was not demanding. She didn't have the high-pitched, the, the vocalizations of, of a Siamese that you normally think of. But she did talk with me. In fact, I really enjoyed talking with her. She was one of my favorite cats that I've ever had. Um, but she was she was just perfect she sat by my side when her mom died her mom unfortunately got attacked by a couple of dogs um after she'd gotten out of the house one day and that sierra sat by me probably for a good three or four days while we both grieved over the loss of her mom so you know it's a wonderful breed of cat generally healthy in fact they don't even know of any genetic defects that are showing up in the tonkinese right now so i think these are three breeds that if you're looking for a cat really give some good consideration to the Tonkinese, the Burmese, and the Bombay, all based and genetically related, and all seem to be very, very good family pets, good with children, and seem to tolerate other animals real well, if you let the Bombay be the boss of the household. (laughs) All right, we need to take a quick break while we let our sponsors talk with you, and we thank them for all their support that they've given us. When we come back, we'll spend a little bit of time ending up the half hour talking about what happens to your pets when you pass on. We'll be right back. Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna! Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. 
quiet bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you. Until later. Hmm. Okay, Tom, you may continue. And we are back for the last few minutes here of our Catitude Half Hour. We want to talk a little bit today about what happens. In other words, do pets get rich when their humans die? Interesting topic here. Now, if you are a Disney fan, you know the movie The Aristocats. One of my favorite movies because of uh, Thomas O'Malley, The Alley Cat. I think somebody that I've kind of patterned my life after. But um, the cats in that movie were given money. And of course, the butler was trying to get the money from the cats, trying to kill the cats and everything. But it really brought up an interesting point is... Can pets have money? Now, if you follow the news, you'll know about a year ago, Leona Helmsley died. Now, Leona Helmsley was the hotel billionaire, caused lots of problems in New York City and everything like that. Well, she left $12 million for the care and upkeep of her dog, Trouble. Trouble's a little Maltese. A court knocked that down to $2 million and gave the remaining $10 million to her grandchildren, who had been left out of her will. So... First of all, is that legal? Yes, the courts can certainly do that. And if you want to take care of your pet in the event of your death or disability, how can you make sure that a court won't come along and give your money to somebody else? You know, people like Oprah Winfrey and Betty White, they're planning on leaving millions to their pets. And so how are they making sure that their wishes will be fulfilled? Well, this is not a new concept, believe it or not. We talk about how pets are moving from our backyards into our bedrooms and from the kennels into the kitchens, but way back in 1842, English common law actually recognized the fact that people want to leave money for the care of their pets, especially people wanted to leave money for their horses, you know, please take care of my horse, it was a great animal, gave me, you know, years and years of helping me plow the fields. And so English law recognized these pet trusts, but the difficult thing was Pets are still considered property, and especially here in America, which we've never really gotten on board with thinking about pets as family members until just the last 20, 25 years. But pets are considered property, and property cannot own property. So in other words, you can't leave money to your pet. So what can you do? Well, legal experts are basically saying what you should do is make sure you leave money for your pet and not to your pet. Another legal expert that I talked with said one of the biggest problems that they run into in probate court is the fact that somebody wants to leave money to their pet to be taken care of, veterinary bills, a nice soft dog bed, the right dog food, all that kind of stuff. But there's no human beneficiary that can enforce those terms. In other words, who's going to go to court to make sure that the dog's getting the right dog food and that somebody hasn't absconded with that money and bought a new car? As with Leona Helmsley, if you decide to leave millions of dollars to your animals, the court could just look at the will and say, you know what, that's frivolous, it's capricious, we're going to take it down. Now, Leona Helmsley's had more of a legal fight going on in the background with the grandchildren, but there have been many cases where people try to leave a million dollars or even $10,000 for the care of their pets, and the courts have said that that was too much, that it was above and beyond. So, what are you going to do? Well, here's the first thing you should do, and I really like this advice. And again, this information is coming from the Veterinary News Network, and you can read a story about this at myvnn.com. Myvnn.com. The first thing that you want to do is carry an animal card with you. So, maybe a little 3x5 card, something in your wallet, something in your purse that says, hey, 
I've got a cat at home. I've got three cats at home that are expecting me to come home and feed them. And they're expecting me to come home and take care of them. So if I'm injured, if I'm disabled, if I die, please go to this address. Please get the cats. This is what they look like. This is their names. Here's how you identify them and take care of them. I would also put your veterinarian on there because your veterinarian's going to know the background of your cats. And so they're going to be able to really help out. In a similar manner, it wouldn't be a bad idea to go ahead and create an animal document to go with your will or any estate documents that you have. So that way, if you happen to pass away peacefully in your sleep, which I hope we all do at some point in time, at the right appropriate time, when the people come in and start taking care of your effects, obviously they're going to see the pets, but if you're on a vacation, on a trip, or away from home for some reason, you're going to want to make sure that your animals are taken care of properly and that they identify the right animals. Now, if you want to leave money for your pets, name a human beneficiary who gets the money to take care of the pet's expenses. Now, the trustee of your estate will take care of all this if you name the human beneficiary. So if you've got a caretaker in mind, whether it's a relative, whether it's um, a good family friend, you know, veterinarian, veterinary technician that you've loved, whatever the situation is, talk with them ahead of time. Obviously, you don't want them all of a sudden having four cats showing up on their doorstep. You should probably name alternate caretakers just as well, just in case for some reason that these folks can't take care of your pet. Right now, if you don't do that, it's going to go to any surviving family members that you have. And they may or may not be able to take care of your pet, first of all, but they may not want to take care of your pet. You know, maybe they've got their own pets that are trying to take care of. Maybe they're in a situation where they can't have animals. And in those cases, oftentimes your animal's going to end up in a shelter or a humane organization and, you know, hopefully would be adopted. And that kind of leads me over to a tangent, too. There are many organizations that you can actually go to and you can prepare for your your demise by leaving money to these organizations and they will take care of your pets for you. In fact, there's many places that if you give them like a $5,000 grant or a um, $10,000 grant, they will basically take care of your pet. And then when your pet passes away, the remainder of that money goes to help take care of other animals. So you're basically doing two good deeds. You're taking care of your pet, but you're also taking care of other pets. At Purdue University, there is a peace of mind program. And so basically what it does is it just makes sure that if these animals are orphaned because of their owner's passing, that they'll be placed in a good home and their medical expenses will be taken care of for the lifetime. Now, the first thing that people have to do is they have to complete the arrangements with an attorney. And then this program asks for $25,000 for each pet. Purdue then can take care of the pet until the pet's passing, and then the rest of that money will support the school, the veterinary care programs, all of that kind of stuff. So that's just one example of something you could do to make sure that your pet doesn't end up in a shelter. Now, this isn't very fun to talk about either, but you should also think about your pet's death at some point in time, even if your pet lives on past you. In your will, provide some instructions and some resources, so some money, for whatever you want done with your pet at the conclusion of its life. So whether you're going to have it cremated and the ashes scattered or what, or buried in a pet cemetery, please provide for those resources so that um, your human beneficiaries, your caretakers of your pet, don't have to. Now here's something to keep in mind. There's a lot of people out there that really believe that their dog, their cat, their pet is going to grieve inconsolably 
after they die. And so they'll say, please euthanize my pet and put him in the casket with me or whatever. Well, first of all, a lot of places don't allow you to bury animals with people. You got to check the legality of that. But second of all, most often a court is not going to say, okay, euthanize this pet because the public's going to get really upset. And the courts have also said that it's an act of cruelty. If you want to get down to the practical nuts and bolts of it, you as an owner of property cannot willfully order the destruction of that property when you die. So you can't say burn down my house and you can't say euthanize my pet. Now, obviously, you've got to talk with your attorney about these things. You can't take all my word for it. The laws in each state vary. So you want to make sure that you talk with your attorney if you're planning for you know, your estate. And there are some states that say, hey, you can set up an honorary trust for your pet. You don't have to have a human beneficiary. But all the legal experts I've talked with said, you know what? Those are completely unenforceable and your wishes could go unsatisfied. So follow the steps that I talked about. Get the ID cards, get the, you know, the animal cards, the animal documents, name human caretakers or set up something like Purdue's Peace of Mind program so that you'll know that your pet's taken care of. Now here's something, it's a little amusing to me, but it's something that you should probably provide in your will too, is make sure you can identify your pet. There have been numerous cases in where trusts were abused by the beneficiaries, the human beneficiaries, who basically used a succession of very similar animals to keep getting money. In other words, the person who died said, please take care of my black cat, and the person who got the money kept getting new black cats, you know, like this cat was going to be 35, 40, 50 years old. So, you know, utilize microchips, uh, one of the DNA uh, identification services. Your veterinarian can certainly help you with that to make sure that your pet is identified. So this might not have been the most fun topic to talk about today, but, you know, we are keeping pets much later in our life. A lot of people who are older, um, the baby boomers who um, have no children in their uh, nest right now, the empty nesters basically, are keeping pets, and it is a possibility that pets could outlive us, especially with the great care that they're getting. And, you know, as a cat lover, it's not unusual for our cats to live 20 or even 25 years. And I think once we really determine how we can help control some of the kidney problems that cats get and minimize some of these aging changes, we're going to see cats living 25, even 30 years. So when you've got a pet at home, you've got to make sure that you're going to be able to take care of it, even if you're gone. So talk with your attorney, talk with your veterinarian about some resources who can offer homes for pets who survive their owners and do what you do best. Take care of your kitty. All right. Well, it's been fun. I've really enjoyed this again today and uh, we'll be hitting up another episode here coming real soon. Got several breeds that we've still got to talk about. And of course, I really want to get into talking about these exotic crosses, um, the savannas and the pixie bobs and stuff, because I think that's going to be a very interesting and debatable topic as well as very controversial. As always, if you have a question, I would love to talk with you. You can email me at tom at petliferadio.com. That's tom at petliferadio.com. I'm not a veterinarian, but I do have access to more than 350 veterinarians of the Veterinary News Network. And we can, of course, find out what your pet's problem might be. We don't can't diagnose or examine your pet, obviously, over an email or over the radio. 
but we can certainly give you some guidelines, maybe some questions to ask your veterinarian. My good friend, Dr. Bernadine Cruz, is on the pet doctor here at Pet Life Radio. She helps out a lot of times when we've got those pet-related health questions coming up. So I hope that you'll also pop over and listen to her radio show as well. Visit MimeVNN.com. Come back to PetLifeRadio.com to see our next show. And in the meantime, keep loving those kitties, and we will see you very soon. Bye-bye now. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.